Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for subscribing to Plant Talk Radio with your host, Fred Howard. Now, here's Fred. Good morning, Ohio gardeners. It is a good morning. However, as I was thinking in this past week, how much warmer it is than normal, how much blue and sunny sky we've had, which is fantastic. And then this morning, well, there's an angry sky above us. There's water on the roads. The temperature has dropped, so I think it's a little bit more fall-like, <laughs> yeah. and that's okay. It's inevitable. It's supposed to have been happening for the last several hundred million years, and uh, we hope it continues, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it has been really very interesting for the, uh, I'm going to call it extension of summer. Um, I usually have mentioned by now the um, witch hazel, which I still hold in high regard for its flowering in the fall on my birthday. Well, my birthday is now past. And the flower buds are still all but open. Now, I, I, I had to use the point of my knife, but I could see just a hint of yellow back in the crack of a bud. Now, that's really having to hunt for color. But at the same time, it is starting. Now, the other thing that's, a, I'm going to call it slightly disappointing, I've been feasting on Cornelian cherry dogwood fruit for the last two weeks. They are um, they're the shape of a pear and the size of a, Oh, let's call it a, a sour cherry. Uh, very, very interesting. You don't want to eat them green. There's a lot of alum in them. They'll just pucker your mouth right up. <laughs> you feed them to somebody you don't like. But at the same time, <laughs> I have been relishing the the ones that have gone past red toward burgundy or purplish or whatever. And I have to kind of fight the birds for them. Well, I went out yesterday afternoon. No fight with the birds. They're gone. Yeah. <laughs> They're all on the ground. They will have seeded themselves. There will be new. And uh, that just reminds me of how Mother Nature works. I don't know how many hundreds of fruit are on that, or in some cases, thousands of fruit are on plants, acorns in particular this year. The turkeys are going to get some. The deer get some. There's still plenty of them for Mother Nature to, uh, let's just say, have germinate and then grow up into big trees. But I'm told as the numbers go, may have mentioned it before, but on the acorns, for example, for every large oak you see, one million seeds hit the ground that never got by the turkeys, the deer, and Mother Nature. Nice. <laughs> That's a kind of an interesting side thought. And it's just, uh, well, um, <laughs> pawpaws, my, my favorite fruit. Hard to find. I found a great number of them this year. Put some in the fridge to take with me to Southern California this afternoon so that my son and daughter-in-law can get a taste of them. Uh, They, too, are down. And uh, in that case, you either have to beat the raccoons from the tree or off the ground. (laughs) Uh, But don't tangle with a mature raccoon. I've I've seen what they can do, and uh, it's not good. Well, sitting alongside Fred Hauer, I'm Mark News in our Plant Talk studios, and we're glad you joined us this morning. If you have a question for Fred, you can email it to us. It's fred at planttalkradio.com, or just go to our website, planttalkradio.com, and we have a button on there that says, 
Ask Fred, and you can uh, send us your question that way. Fred will take a look at what's in color, and he'll also take a look at his plant of the week coming up next. So stay with us this morning as we get started on Plant Talk. And Fred, what are you seeing in color? Well, I'm seeing a number of things, Mark, and I have to hunt like using my pen knife to open the <laughs> outer bud scales on my uh, witch hazel. But at the same time, there are 17 things, Mark. Now, I count this year, this time of year, uh, for example, the sedums, the great big ones that give us the fall color with their, their well, their dead heads are plants that are very enjoyable. They've, they've been yeah. in flower for a while, and now I don't know whether to call them flower or fruit. They're, they're actually both. And the uh, well, I've had a fantastic year. Now, caladium is not normally a plant that I mention or, or add on the list, but it, it is a bulbous thing. It is standing right now about two and a half feet tall. Uh, I put five in a significant vessel, <laughs> an old kettle for rendering, well, for rendering. And... Uh, they're they're filling it, and this is just wonderful. Uh, I've never had quite such good luck with them before. So those are doing fine. Mums, of course, are in their heyday. Uh, oh, asters boy. are kind of passing by, but the, um, the 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 well, the perennial geranium. Now, not the one we buy, this pink, white, and et cetera, et cetera. It's the one that is the the blue. Uh, and there are several varieties that are blue. I happen to have the one called Roseanne that just keeps spreading, and that suits me fine because it spreads enough to defeat some of the weeds that try to get up in there. Yeah. (laughs) Because the foliage is so different, the weeds are discernible, and when I get a notion after a rain so I can pull them easily, I'll bend down and get a few, but oh my the number and kinds of weeds that I have this year is uh, something I don't want to even try to explain. I shouldn't even mention when there are, th- app, well, apps, so to speak, things we can put on to stop them. But in any event, Mark, 17 things. Uh, the goldenrod has been spectacular this fall. Um, and and <laughs> as many people now know, it used to be considered an allergen and was, uh, well, definitely despised. Anymore, there are several nice new cultivars, shorter, taller, different yellows and so on, makes a very good plant, but they're not an allergen or a, a cause of problems. So that's what's in color at this point in time or the generality of it. I counted 11 roses on my knockout bush that have just, they love this hot, dry weather this week. They, they have, and they won't, they won't dissipate quite so quickly either. Now, now we've had an overcast, ugly sky, rain and so on. The flowers may because of the temperatures and so on, may have some problems with mildew disease and so on. But my, what a wonderful thing to have happen in the middle of October. Yeah, so nice. Uh, let's talk about your plant of the week. Well, the plants of the week, Mark. Ah. The witch hazel, I have to mention, even though it's not in flower, it's still a plant that can give decent color. Now, by decent, the color is fine. The flowers are such tiny, filamentous little devils that you have to see them somewhat up close. But it's still a good plant for flower this time of year. Very few other things are doing that. Then I... I uh, <laughs> I mentioned the Cornelian cherry dogwood. It's starting to pick up a very pretty fall color, kind of a, I don't know, burnt burgundy. And now I don't know how to even explain that. But it, it's a, a wonderful tree, stands now about 20 high and 20 wide, which is about their absolute maximum, uh, maybe even bigger than they list in the book. Then the next thing is the deer can't get to them from seed. 
I've had some sunflowers come up in the far back of the of the compost pile, which now is three and a half feet deep. So the <laughs> ones that came up back in the the rear of the compost pile, up against the fence, the deer can't get to them, and they're looking down at me from about eight and a half feet tall right now. Nice. So they're they're pretty, but the ones that grew up up front, well, I shouldn't even say they grew up. The ones that tried to grow up front, <laughs> the deer ate because they love them. Then, of course, as I have mentioned in the past, to fill this out, beautyberry. It it is um, it is a good year for beautyberry. I, I even looked at one plant recently that ha- was not trimmed back. Uh, f- did not force out then a whole head of brand new stems and foliage, and it was still chuck full of berries. And the berries in this case are the size of a BB shot, and they they're formed in clusters. There's a pearl white one, and then the the well the metallic blue, if you will. Uh, they are in multiples, and they just literally line the stem. And because of their weight and because of the nature of the plant, it kind of grows up from the center, splays out, and kind of almost lays back down to the ground. And uh, when something like that is in full fruit, you can hardly tell the leaf that there are leaves, let's put it that way, because it is just really spectacular right now. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, a few years ago, I had never seen a snowberry, and huh. you showed it to me with its <laughs> yes. beautiful little white berries. Yes. Well, I saw one this week, uh, and I said to my wife, hey, that's a snowberry. Fred, uh, Fred's got one of those, and he showed me that. It's not, not a common plant that no. you see everywhere, but boy, uh, those white berries are spectacular. They are, Mark, and it, it's such a surprise. Now, it is not the best of plants. It's used usually in the shade, in an area where you don't want to spend much in an area where you don't have to mess with much with, with maintenance, uh, mine is a survivor, and I mean that quite literally. It may get a whack once in a while in the spring, but it comes up, flowers, and then fruits. And right now, I'd call them the size of a big fat cranberry, maybe yeah. even a little bit bigger. And then they are just about as white as the driven snow. So in this tangly little plant, of not much seasonal account up until now, it's really quite interesting to come upon them. Old timers, I they go back, well, let's just say quite a ways, because I knew them as a kid. That makes quite a ways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting that uh, earlier you, you were talking about the acorns. Uh-huh. I saw an article this week where they were talking to the uh, uh, experts and the wildlife folks here in Ohio, and uh, just a bumper crop of acorns. I think this may be the second year in a row. Uh, the, they say the mild winter... Makes yes. for a huge acorn harvest, yeah. and the deer and the squirrels, uh, they are really happy. And, and well, the squirrels are, of course, running around storing them, and and uh, I no longer have the cat that would sit and watch the squirrel run <laughs> up the tree and sit there and throw an acorn, literally in both front paws, throw an acorn at that cat. Get it disturbed, get it setting ready to go again, go down the backside of the tree, plant <laughs> Mark, what a fun, kind of a circus-like thing. But yes, this is bumper crop time. The mild winter does definitely help because it doesn't kill flower buds. Then, apparently, and I, I I didn't register it, but apparently we did not have a late frost or freeze at the time they were in primary bloom so that there's just pollination everywhere. If you can remember back to your windshield being yellow when you pull in from the car wash. It's because the oaks were in bloom. But at the same time, what a a bumper crop and going to be a lot fat turkeys and so on out in the woods. Well, we're going to take some of your email questions coming up next. And uh, also, Fred's going to talk about 
how to prepare your vegetable garden for winter. All of that still to come on Plant Talk. Stay with us. Fred, we had a question from Will. He okay. sent it in to Fred at planttalkradio.com. He says, I have one apple and one pear tree, each about 10 years old. The past two years, they shot up about 10 feet and are now 20 to 25 feet tall with multiple leaders. Very productive this year with 200 to 300 apples wow. and 100 plus pears, but too high for me, even with a ladder. <laughs> Can I cut out the tops? If so, how? Well, he can cut out the tops, and I'm going to pass out the rule of normalcy here. Nobody that has had a pear tree for 10 years should go up to, to pick the crop or prune the tree, unless they've got one foot firmly on the ground. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yes, he can prune. Uh, as a matter of fact, a well-kept apple orchard, because you don't, you don't see as many pear orchards, but a, a well-kept apple uh, apple orchard, most of the trees have been trimmed off at, let's just say, a max of 10 feet high to side buds, which means the load of fruit then on a branch that's reaching out will reach down to where when the plants are in full leaf, they look like kind of an umbrella so that they can they pick, pick from the ground. Uh, it, any Well, in all production, doesn't matter what you're making or doing, uh, you have speed as part of the factor. So they do keep them down low to the ground so that a low ladder and or, uh, well, a picking staff can get them. Uh, now, as to how, the, the rule will be the same on them as on any other plant. Cut down to a branch that is fully one-third the diameter of the part you're going to cut off. That gives the plant internal construction chance for the hormones to work to where the new the new buds and the tips of the branches that are left will form and become dormant or I'm sorry dominant again, uh, so that he could take a twenty footer. I, I would not. I'm trying to picture it in my mind. I would not go below. A twelve feet for the first cut. Now that still would put him on a six foot ladder with a, with a reach, but it it doesn't put him up there at twenty feet where it's it's going to be causing a problem. So I, I would do that. I would cut down to a side bud, side branch in this case uh, that is fully that one third in diameter and uh, somewhere in the ten to twelve foot high range. Then you will start from that point this year you'll go on out each subsequent year and trim off the the stems that are going to or well yeah the new stems or suckers that try to grow upright trim those off you keep catering to the the branches that are going out wide and starting to lean down harder to do on a pear than an apple but i compliment him it must have been must have been no frosts and freezes and lots of bees because yeah. that's one heck of a crop uh so uh will i i don't see any reason not to prune them you can take them a little lower than that in subsequent years, but I think for the first trimming, uh, whatever height they happen to be, regardless of feet, let's just say take off the top third. A little drastic, but at the same time, it'll get them down to where you can pick them and enjoy them. And uh, if you get a bumper crop, Mark and I will send our address. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I could I could use some apple crisp. I, well, that sounds I good to me. I could use some pears. I haven't had good pears in a long time. Yeah. Well, Fred, we also had a question from uh, Brett. Okay. And uh, Brett says, uh, hi, Fred. So hi back to Brett. Right. I, I planted two young serviceberry trees in my backyard last week. 
A few days later, deer came in and ate all the leaves, leaving nothing but the bare branches. Will these trees survive? Now, before I planted them, I read that deer should leave service berry alone, so I didn't protect them. Mm-hmm. I understand. Uh, a hungry deer has no conscience. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Does not read the books. Uh, service berry is one of the plants that they will least pick on. However, uh, having had, well, still having service berries, back in the day, uh, right after planting, which is a long time back, th- there there was some chewing, and then unfortunately, some, some of the males rubbed on the tree or, uh, to just let me know they're there. Now, uh, to answer your question, then, it is unfortunate that they've they've been denuded, but <coughs> there is probably no reason for concern at this point. When we are past, let's just say mid-August, and now well into to October, trees probably are not using their leaves to full advantage at this point. They've been transitioning; the abscission layers are forming, so they can drop and. Uh, I would say as long as they ate only the leaves, no big deal whatsoever. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, that's a season for that, too. Oh, there is a season for that. I don't know what's <laughs> yeah. in the air right now. Uh, it's, it, whatever it is, is v- almost devastating, especially when you try to take a breath and you can't. Um, Brett, there is, there is probably damage. They may have, uh, because of the way they bite, uh, there may have been some split tips on the plants. If you find that to be the case, you could go back uh, uh, to just beyond or or to, how do I want to say, closer to the trunk. Yeah. <coughs> Good heavens. Must be here in the studio. Um, it It is probably no damage whatsoever of any significance. Now, just because... It being new and then then being chewed or or uh, leaf deposing, you would probably do well to fertilize that tree again in the spring. I would not go heavy. Uh, whatever you choose to use, I'd use maybe two thirds as much as they recommend. You don't want to take any chances of a root burn, and you don't want plants to shoot out a whole long stem. I put a honey locust tree on what I call the Hauer Kill or Cure program years ago. <laughs> yeah. Power killer cure program kept it alive the first year and that was it and that was a challenge two and three inches of growth and uh, defoliated early etc i stuck it to it i used a liquid i used dry um i i violated all the rules on the bags and so on it grew four and a half feet the next year nice (laughs) well almost too much because it makes them brittle when they grow that fast the the um the tissue. Now, I had no problem because I kind of like we were talking with Will. I cut them back about a third to a side bud, and that made for a really good looking tree uh, later on in life. So that's that's where I would go, and I wouldn't be worried about the present moment. Okay. And while you get one of your cough drops, I'll yes. just lead into this next segment here. <laughs> um, Fred, this is one of the uh, questions that okay. we get quite a, quite a bit, and that is. Uh, how to prepare your vegetable garden for winter. And do you have a list here of eight things you can do to get things ready for winter? So I'll just go through them and you can uh, comment on them. Uh, Number one is clean up diseased plants. By all means. Now, in the case of veggies, many of the crops will be annuals. They, hopefully, you've harvested them at this point. And then uh, this has been a terrific year for powdery mildew on a lot of things, things that don't normally you don't normally consider it getting on. So 
anything like that that is an annual, you just, just literally pull it, dig it out, whichever, knock the soil off the roots and off into the trash it goes. Now, many, uh, well, some of the crops in a vegetable garden, like asparagus and so on, are plants of a perennial nature. Uh, at this point in time, they probably are turning tan and maybe even have gone into defoliation at this point, which means the plant is inactive. I would indeed, uh, on, on a harsh cut like this, I would wait until there's been one heavy freeze. That tends to set plants into a, a more full dormancy. Reason for doing that, and it's just a short wait at this point, is that plants' response to heavy pruning is a fast regrowth, and I'm not going to try to explain that. I couldn't on a test years ago, so I'll just say that that's the case. Now, for example, on asparagus, which is a perennial, you can cut it down to about two inches or, or even a little less. Wait for a freeze. The next thing I would throw into that is rhubarb. Rhubarb probably has been harvested and done. Uh, the first frost, those leaves will mush up and be on the ground. So you might just as well get them out of the way. And again, as a perennial, I would take it down to maybe one or two inches tall. Then all the annuals, diseased or not, that are waning. Now, in my yard, I'm going to throw in some flowers here, but a lot of what, a lot of the few things that I planted as annuals are, are looking fantastic yet. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen little yellow marigolds quite so little in yellow. They're yeah. Just, they're superior. So let's just say all that kind of thing out and gone. Uh, number two would be remove invasive weeds that have taken hold over the growing season. I'm going to speak to me and the public at this point. <laughs> okay. I have invasive weeds. I have weeds that I've never noticed before. I have them where I've never seen them before in terms of kind. Uh, I, I've been, unfortunately, kind of a lazy gardener this year. So what I'm going to have to do is make a decision by looking and watching for freeze now because the, the perennial weeds will be, let's just say, burned off or, or frosted off down to the ground. If you know that to be the same spot that that kind of weed was in last year, count it as a perennial, and I would indeed try to dig it out. Um, th that would take some of the grasses that are perennials. Uh, now, the, the other one that comes into mind is crabgrass. Uh, it's had royal growth this year. Uh, each plant is capable of putting out about a thousand seeds from what I've been told. And I think I have found a couple that are that or more. Yeah. <laughs> now, those are annuals. First freeze and they're dead and gone. Seeds will be dispersed or have been. And all you can do is is mark in your memory or, or for that matter, a garden chart. Mark where those plants are and be sure to use a perennial, I'm sorry, a weed seed germination blocker uh and and that's what we use in our lawn it's the same thing that can be used in the garden and that will generally take care of those weeds um we don't want any weeds to be held over in the garden so if it's a thistle if it's a dandelion if it's something that is a perennial uh, i'd go deep and uh, be gone now the perennials because they can live over in the compost pile, I would take them off-site. Um, <laughs> it's not a perennial, but I had broccoli some years ago that um, it, it just didn't do anything. It just sent up a stem and looked ugly. Well, when I, when I got ready to cut it off or pull it out, I did both, actually. I looked, and there's little bitty round things in the axles of each of the leaves. 
Well, I cut it in thirds, in the three plants, and threw them in a compost pile. <laughs> the following spring, I had a crop of broccoli that was fantastic <laughs> laying in the mulch all winter long. So those are things that can be done in that regard. Uh, once again, we're going through Fred's list of eight ways to prepare your vegetable garden for winter. More on the list coming up next. And welcome back. We're going through Fred's eight ways to prepare your vegetable garden for winter. Now, number one was clean up diseased plants. Number two was remove invasive weeds. And uh, Fred, we're up to number three, which is amend the soil for spring. Yes, I'm hoping that people have composted. I'm hoping they've made their own black gold or we'll buy some peat moss and or both for that matter. Spread it two inches thick over the garden and then either rototill it or spade it under for this point in time. Let that... um, Freezing and thawing, mix it together for you, and so on. So that will get, well, everything ready for spring. Now, if you're into the two plants that I mentioned as perennials, don't dig too hard there. Stay off to the side of the rows. But it doesn't hurt, though, to even prepare right up. In terms of asparagus, I've gone up to 12 inches from the plant base and uh, didn't apparently hurt the plant. So that's the amount for that. And uh, number four, you've sort of already touched on, which is prune the perennials with care. Yes. Um, most perennials, and I'm, I'm thinking right now of a specific uh, plant of, of my favor. I love peonies. I have a peony that is in the worst possible condition. I looked at it yesterday afternoon. I knew it was going downhill, so to speak, and it's okay because it's past the August 15th point. But it, it is so tan, you can't see the brown of death. <laughs> yeah. the, the mildew is just tremendous. I will be cutting it off carefully right at one inch above the ground. And then those leaves will not go into the compost pile. Those will go off site and be done. So that's the way to handle the perennials for all practical purposes. Number five on the list is harvest and regenerate your compost. Yes. Now, harvest is, well, based on whatever you planted. Uh, I have no no harvest at this point, um, period. But the leaves that you get that are not diseased, unless they are full of seed pods on evil things or otherwise something nasty, you can put those in the compost pile. I just put a whole load of things from under the counter in the kitchen, etc., into the compost pile, just stirred it up, well, maybe a couple of inches deep. Then one whole load, well, actually three bags of cut grass and leaf chopped all on that, and that will get turned under to keep that compost pile warm and moving on to make some more black gold. Uh, now, Fred, number six is replenish mulch. What uh, what benefit does mulch have in the winter? Considerable, and at the same time, can be dangerous. Now, let me explain the difference there. A, an inch or two on most perennials, and certainly on almost all, let's just say, established woody plants, is a cushion against quick freezing, quick thawing. This is good. Now, for example, mums are in their glory right now. You can, well, you can kill mums by mulching two inches deep right up around the crown of stems on them. They and some other plants will simply uh, be too wet. They're protected from the cold, but it isn't going to make a difference if they're dead. (laughs) They can be caused to rot. So be careful there. But by and large, two inches of mulch over your garden 
well, over your plants, including the garden, is not a bad idea just to take the, the sting, so to speak, out of fast freeze and thaw. Uh, review your plants in your garden and assess your growing season. Yes. And I, I've recommended calendars. I don't care which year they're from. I don't care if it's a specific day in October or August or May. It's the period of the week, a period of the time in the month to know when you planted, when you harvested, what grew well, and so on. Hang it on the garage wall right in front of the bar, car's bumper so that you can remember to make notes. Because uh-huh. your memory between now, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and et cetera, won't suffice. I found that to be very true. And then also, <laughs> anything that is a perennial, use a wooden stick, stake, whatever. You can buy them at a garden center or you can break up twigs in your yard. Uh, mark the north, south, east, or west, whichever you choose. But mark right close to the center of the perennial things so you don't stomp them out of season. Because when you've cut them off or they die back, it's not hard to put a 200-pound heel right smack down through the crown. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Clean and sharpen your tools. Yes. Mark, tools, and and I'm, I'm of an opinion, and I'll just pass it along. A good tool made for its job of good steel, iron, whatever, uh, a well-strapped handle, etc. If you buy them, and that's what I would buy at some extra cost quite often. But if you take care of them this time of year, they'll last a lifetime. Now, if you leave them lay, they'll rust over winter. Yes. (laughs) However, and I found that unfortunately true one time way back. But it's time to, by all means, wash the soil off, anything that you're done using. Then, if it needs sharpening, do so. Then, uh, I put oil in in a saucer kind of thing. I dip a rag in it. And then I just rub down all of the metal parts mm-hmm. with that protective so that the water, of well, just the humidity of winter doesn't get on the metal. And then I even don't hes- hesitate to oil the handles mm-hmm. in preparation then for sanding the handles in the spring so I don't inflame certain areas of skin when I start to handle them again. Yeah. And is that, uh, what, what, what kind of oil? Just like a mineral oil? Or? A mineral oil. Honestly, I've, I've used salad oils, mineral oils. I had some suspect olive oil one time that got <laughs> used. It's, it's sell-by date was uh, several generations before that moment. So, yeah, anything like that. Neat's foot oil is one of the special things, but uh, oil is oil in that regard. Well, if you get a minute this week, we'd love for you to check out our website, which is planttalkradio.com. Also, you can take a look at our Facebook page. We try to put some stuff up there every week. And if you're a fond, if you're fond of podcasts and you like listening to the show, you can listen to it anytime through our website, which is planttalkradio.com, or go to your favorite podcast player to hear our question of the day and our plant of the week podcasts. More to come from Fred Hauer up next. And welcome back to the program. Mark News here alongside Fred Howard, the Ohio nurseryman. And uh, Fred, time to bring in those tropicals. Yes, it is, Mark. And and I would say fairly soon. Now, we have had warmish all the way through, almost too warm. Uh, I have brought in my orchids just very recently. I usually let them hit an evening of 40 degrees, but I'm going to be gone, and I don't want to take a chance of that evening being 34 degrees. That's just not good for them. And several other things. I have... Um, let's just say some indoor plants that are definitely tropicals. They have been moved over away from 
let's just say the the greatest of exposure over to the inside wall you you might say of our front porch then uh, they will come into the house very soon now somewhat often there will be scale insects on the orchids and i i inspect them i i am generally of a reasonably sharp thumbnail and thumb and i can feel the little bumps i can see the little bumps and i do a general inspection uh, kind of like if you were in the military, and any any bump gets brushed off or squeezed off or whatever, then I wash my hands, of course. But it, that's one way. Then other plants, you might want to watch for such things as that. And if you find an insect problem, something as simple as malathion or other things that you might wish to try can be used during the day when it's above 40 or 50 or 60 so that you can get the the well the insects cleaned up even for a generation or two especially if something has spider mites on it um they they will rebreed in 10 days so you need to spray them a couple or three times so spray at a warm part of the day then move them back into either indoors or back into a sheltered area under a canopy whatever it might be and just simply take them in as clean as you can and i know you gave me a oh i'm sorry you gave me a tip one time Mm -hmm. about uh scraping about an eighth of an inch of the soil off the top before you bring them in. Good point, because that's where, um, oh, come on, whitefly will have it. And whitefly is a real nuisance. In in greenhouses, it can get so bad that they literally set off a canister of material inside, middle of the greenhouse, then close it entirely. Big signs in the door, no entry for 24 hours. They mean it, yeah. because they they have to be dealt with in a a very unkind manner. So, uh, yes, that's not a bad idea, Mark. And then you can put some fresh soil on top. Uh, Do not overfill by any means. But if you scrape off a quarter, put a quarter, that is quarter of an inch of soilless mixture back on top and um, so on. Uh, Regenerate lawns. Well, now's the time. I pulled up to the light the other day and a, a pickup truck with a trailer with three core aerators on it with a great big sign on the back call us if and it was for core aeration of lawns they they were the big big lawn core aerators there were three guys in the truck i would imagine they can move into a lawn the size of mine and in 20 minutes uh, let's just say do the whole job uh, i will generally turn my back and walk away at that point i have reached out with a broom rake and pulled a few of the plugs that are pulled up over into a low spot just to get some some regrading done at that time. But that will allow moisture to be more free moving in, air to the roots of the grass that's going along. And then if you're adding fertilizer, and I strongly recommend it this time of year, it will also get down in those holes as well as down through the soil. And it just you'll have a happy lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do it every third year. This is year three, and I have a call in from the back of that trailer. Nice. <laughs> You know, Fred, I saw a very, it was actually a very disturbing story this mm. week that said uh, that the the American bumblebee oh. is in severe yes. uh, trouble right now. In fact, there are eight states where there are no more American bumblebees. They are gone. So it just always gives the gardeners a heads up on be very careful what you spray. It, it, very careful, Mark. And I I have even gone to the point on an insect basis, for example, and and uh, that's where most of the problem comes with bees. If the situation is not significant, um, let's just say the bees are not 
in the ground coming up and sting you every time you move near it with the mower, uh, etc. I just plain leave them alone. I have, and it's it's damaged, it's going to continue to be up. I have the bees, the wood wood uh, bore, pe- that's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, anyhow, the bees that get up into wood timbers, yeah. they, they drill up in a hole that's perfectly, uh, well, probably three-eighths of an inch. They go up and then they turn right, left, or whatever they can do in that timber, stack the food and the egg and such that they'll be back next year. I don't spray for them either. I'm I'm very conscious from talking to several doctorate-level people who are up on the diseases. Now, I can't imagine it how a... A bee has a ear problem or has a digestive problem. And most of the neonicotoids, which were so highly taught in, uh, back some years ago because they were so very thorough, it is found that they, they, they are almost total kill for bees. And bees of all kinds, not only a bumblebee. And I can remember the day when bumblebee. Got in our old wood garage. My dad would close the door down to about an eight-inch crack. Stand there with a tennis racket. Yeah, that's one way to get rid of them. <laughs> but this is this is a very long time ago when bees weren't in trouble. Okay, Fred, uh, just quickly here. I only have about forty-five seconds okay. left, but you you need to help me. I've got a woodpecker that's trying to oh. take my house down. What do I do about it? <laughs> well, there's a number of things you cannot do. Yes. I have heard, though, that if you have an area, if their house has an area that's being infested or infected, affected both, uh, a mirror where they can see and frighten themselves away. (laughs) I have heard of spraying, uh, let's just say, uh, everything from vegetable oil to whatever to change their direction. Um, Mark, I... I've talked to the best in in that regard. I've never heard one thing that does it all. Well, I tell you what, if our listeners have any solutions to a woodpecker problem, please send it in to me because I could certainly use it. Uh, coming up next, Fred will give us his to-do list. And that, of course, is coming up on Plant Talk. Well, Mark, as to the, the trailer with the number on it, I have to assume they're going to do a good job. I will watch them. I will hope and I will ask them to come sometime within a day or two after a good thorough rain. I don't want it muddy, but I want that, that well, implement to be able to go down inch, inch and a half, inch and three quarters and pull out a real plug. Then it's a matter of just continuing to mow, fertilize. It's, um, <laughs> I'm going to deal with some weed killer yet. I have violets where violets were never supposed to be. Yeah. So I'm going to make them ill this fall. Uh, some will not make it into winter. Some won't make it through. Others that will are going to get it again in the spring because there's way too many of them. I'm no longer a child picking a bouquet for my mother on on Mother's Day. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going after those things. Then always, as I advise, look up. Every time the wind is significant, I don't mean a nasty storm, but whereas wood, is, uh, wood can be dead, that you don't see. I had an oak limb come down, oh, I don't know, a couple, three weeks ago. It it would have been an ouch. It wouldn't have been a kill type, but I I didn't need to get hit on the head with that thing. It was about four feet long, inch in diameter, and it it literally had been dead, and I didn't see it, and it came down uh, happily before I mowed so I could dispose of it and then mow over. But those are the things to be doing this time of year, Mark, that are... um, 
let's just say some effort to be put in it. Also, if you have a good looking garden, take a picture and sit down and enjoy it while we can. Absolutely. And of course, for Fred Howard, the Ohio Nurseryman, I'm Mark Noose, and we look to see you again next week for another edition of Plant Talk Radio. If you have a question for Fred for a future show, go to our Facebook page and ask away. Tell us what you think about our podcast by writing a review on iTunes. This also helps others find out about Plant Talk. Learn more about Plant Talk on our website, planttalkradio.com. advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.